0: At some point, one of your children's friends will be in crisis. So how do you help them help their friends? How do you teach them to develop healthy boundaries when it's probably something you're working on too? When your child shares that a friend is feeling suicidal or cutting or other self-harming behaviors, what do you do? We'll answer that question in this week's episode of Fluster clucks with Lynn Lyons, the show for real talk about worry and other big feelings in
1: parenting. Hi, I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author. I've been a therapist for 30 years. You're here because your family has some anxiety issues or you want to prevent them. I'm your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law, Robin, and I'm here to ask your questions. Parenting can be a Fluster clucks, and I'll help you find your way. Lynn, we have a great listener
0: question today that I feel is easily going to fill a whole episode because any parent of kids over a certain age, I think have dealt with this in some form or another. Okay. My 13-year-old daughter has a good friend who's also 13 who is struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, and has been hospitalized a couple of times in the past few months after reaching crisis points. She's back in the hospital for another two-week program currently. My daughter, who has generalized anxiety and sees a local therapist biweekly, is very supportive of her friend, but scared by the heaviness and the weight of her friend's struggle. And my daughter talks with me about it when it bothers her, and she also talks about it with her therapist, but her core friend group, of which the depressed girl is part of, tends not to want to discuss it. I would love some advice from you on how to best support my daughter as she continues her friendship with this girl. It's a lot for a 13-year-old to deal with.
1: Mm, it is a lot for a 13-year-old to deal with. And I think, unfortunately, it's more and more common that 13-year-olds are dealing with this. One of the things that we know about kids struggling with these things is that the age is dropping. We know it's just happening earlier and earlier. And and the, the struggle or the difficulty with that is that Even though they're getting introduced to these big topics they're getting exposed to these big things, it doesn't necessarily mean that the emotional maturity or the ability to handle that is also keeping pace. And let me say also that this is a problem if you're an adult, right? If you've got a friend who's really struggling, if you are an adult and you've got a friend who's really depressed or suicidal or struggling with an eating disorder or substance abuse, the role that you have in a friendship is can be really, really trying and really difficult. In one way, it's not at all unusual. And in another way, it's incredibly challenging, particularly at 13, when you're supposed to be figuring out who you are. Remember that middle school and 13-year-olds, it's a time of experimentation and trying on different things. And it's also a time when relationships and friendships really shift around. And there's a lot of rejiggering of friendship groups which may or may not have something to do with what's going on with the friend at this point. We're also in a pandemic. And I would imagine that unless you're, you know, completely somehow cut off from things, that's really making an impact too.
0: First of all, do you feel like, we have talked about this and you have, you've emphasized this in past episodes, that teens now, they will self-diagnose and self-label. And there is kind of culturally this trend of, Everyone diagnoses themselves and their friends with all of these different mental health disorders Mm -hmm. and teenagers and middle schoolers wear these as a label so that then it's talked about in a way that, you know, parents might not recognize because- our generation didn't necessarily talk about this in a way that I think it's been more mainstreamed.
1: This is the tricky part is that we're wanting to talk about it with kids so that they are more comfortable talking about it so they don't keep these things to themselves. But the flip side of that is that we've really given them the language that allows them to pathologize it in a way that they're not equipped. So, and the analogy I use is that we're giving 13-year-olds Lamborghinis and they're just not equipped to drive them. And they've got a dangerous amount of information, so to speak. And the, the reason that I feel like the information that they have can be dangerous is because so much of it is inaccurate. You know what this is? It's
0: the whole what to expect when you're expecting phenomenon, yeah, yeah. right? When a pregnant woman is given all possible scenarios of pathological outcomes
1: of her pregnancy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's not good. It's, so right. it's a s- certain knowledge can
1: be counterproductive. So the first thing that I would say to this mom is that if your daughter is is wanting to talk to you about it, which is great, that she wants to have this conversation about it, one of the things you really want to do is make sure that as you and your daughter are talking about depression and talking about anxiety, that you have accurate information about it because there is so much inaccuracy, particularly in what teenagers are getting and what teenagers are talking about. So not only do they have sometimes too much information, but they have too much wrong information, which is just so, so detrimental to kids, particularly to 13-year-olds. The first thing I would say is as you're talking about this, Make it something that she and that you together can learn about in a very constructive way, which means get information, not from the internet and places that you go. Don't, I'm going to say this and people are going to be like, don't go on WebMD for information about depression in kids. Get really good resources. Find some good authors. Find other psychologists that specialize in adolescence that you can begin to talk to your kids about this. I often mention the book by Michael Yapko, The Keys to Unlocking Depression. I wouldn't give that book to a 13-year-old, but mom, I would recommend you get that book so that if she starts talking about things that are inaccurate, that you've got a place to go to learn about it in a very informed way. So you can be doing your 13-year-old a really good service with that. The other thing that we have to be careful about. So not only do kids get inaccurate information from adults, but they're really good at creating inaccurate information amongst themselves which we know that that's what 13-year-old girls do. Let's stop and unpack that because I think
0: I know what you're talking about, but let's clarify because we've talked about it in another episode. Okay. And I can speak to this as a parent. There are social emotional programs that kids learn in schools now. Mm -hmm. But what I notice is a, a paradox is that in order to remove shame, teenagers and middle schoolers are getting a lot of information that it's not your fault. You were just born this way. Mm -hmm. Because if I tell you that you had no choice in this outcome and you now have depression, I don't want you to feel shame. I want you to be able to talk about it. Right. But in fact- It's dangerous information to give a child a label that this is a permanent state of your mental health when you would absolutely argue that it isn't. There are a lot of big parts that we would like to say we trust for good information, but in fact, it's so much trickier than that.
1: Right, so that paradox of we want kids to learn about it and we want kids to be able to talk about it, here's what I want them to understand about this. It is really, really common for people to feel anxious and to feel depressed, for people to go through difficult things, but it is not a permanent condition. So it's not that you brought this on yourself. It's not that you wanted this to happen. It's not that it's your fault, but the recovery from it requires you learning about how it is that you can better manage your emotional lives, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm so skill-based, So it's really talking with kids about what are the skills that you need to develop? What are the things that you need to to learn? I mean, I can give you a gazillion examples because I work with teenagers all the time. When they're talking to me and they're saying, I'm having a really rough time, I don't say, well, how'd you get yourself in this mess again? I also don't say, well, this is just the way your brain is. So of course you're depressed because you have a chemical imbalance and you've got this permanent brain disorder, right? I don't say that either. But what I do say is, okay, so things happened in a certain way that have gotten you to this place. So now let's figure out what are the patterns that maybe we can interrupt or what are the skills that you need to learn? I had a a girl that I've known for a while talking to me recently and in college and the semester falling apart and really having a difficult time with the remote learning. And I've known her for long enough to say, okay, so we can either go into catastrophic mode that this is out of your control and there's nothing you can do, or let's think about what are some steps or things that you need to pay attention to. And I can have that conversation with her And then two weeks later, when I talk to her again, she says, okay, so I did this and I did this and I did this and I'm in a much better place because I recognized that this was a pattern that I needed to change. So I think what we need to think about, the thing we need to pay attention to is that this shows up for all sorts of reasons. And it's not about shame and blame, but it is about saying, let's understand this And let's figure out what are the skills that we need. or And a lot of the skills, which we'll talk about in a moment, a lot of the skills at 13 are probably based on relationships and connection. I mean, I can't overemphasize that above all else, we are social and emotional beings. And if we're looking at a group of 13-year-old girls, they are a very social and emotional group. So, so much of what is going on with them has, I'm sure, a lot to do with relationships and their family, what they think of themselves, how they're figuring out how to manage their friendships. So those are the things we really want to talk to kids about. And being able to say, there are a lot of reasons that people end up in this place. Many, many reasons that people end up in this place. But let's think about, since you're 13, let's think about what we're going to do, right? Because we're talking about recovery, if she's in the hospital now for a two-week program, hopefully they're talking about relapse prevention because that's really key when kids are, are dealing with depression and anxiety and suicidal thinking. This is what you want to talk about with this 13-year-old girl, with, with all 13-year-old girls, with all kids of a certain age. We want to talk about how it is that you learn what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And what are the things that got you to this place and how are we going to help you problem solve and how are we going to help you connect in healthy ways? For example, if my 13 year old girl is talking to me about her friend, what I'm going to do to support my daughter. So mom, what you want to do to support your daughter as she continues this friendship with this girl is you want to ask her, how can you be helpful to your friend and how do you know where you have to draw some boundaries? Because that's going to be a really important skill for your 13-year-old. We don't want these 13-year-olds taking this on. We don't want them to become her treatment group, her, her support group, her depression group. This stuff is contagious. So I would really talk about what does support look like? What does it look like to support a friend who's going through a difficult time? What are you responsible for with her? And when do you know that you need to get help for her? Because one of the things we want to make sure that doesn't happen in a group of 13-year-old girls is that they take it on as something now that they're going to solve. This is the other thing, too, is when we talk to kids about this, one of the main skills is when do you go to a grown-up for help? What are you equipped to do to support your friend? And what is absolutely not in your power, what are you not equipped to handle? That's the key thing you want to talk to your 13-year-old girl about.
0: You might have implied, but I think it's not only for a 13-year-old, but it's for a a 53-year-old and a Mm -hmm. 73-year-old is when you establish boundaries in a friendship or a family relationship with someone who is depressed, Mm -hmm. you have to understand that keeping your boundary to protect you does not make you a bad person. Right but it's important that we let our children and ourselves know that keeping that boundary to protect ourselves is the best thing for everyone.
1: And it also is is making sure that we talk about how we're defining a boundary. Setting a boundary doesn't mean shutting the person out. It doesn't mean refusing to talk to them. Boundaries come in all sorts of ways. So you can have a brick wall as a boundary. But you can also have a big sliding glass door as a boundary so that sometimes you let that person in and then other times you have to step back. And that's sort of the nuanced talks that you want to have with a 13-year-old about how do you know when this is too much for you to handle? So, mom, you want to be able to say to your daughter, let's talk about how you can be helpful to your friend. Let's talk about how you can be supportive. And when do you need to come to me and say, mom... This is concerning to me and I need the adults to step in. How are those New Year's resolutions going?
0: or cold. There's no measuring. There's no mess. There's no fuss. There's no wasteful plastic jug. Earthbreeze fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. The best part is you'll never run out again, thanks to Earthbreeze' flexible subscription that you can adjust, pause, or cancel at any time with no hidden fees or penalties. And you'll save a whopping forty percent when you subscribe. Shipping's always free, and it comes in a slim cardboard envelope that saves a ton of space. So switching to Earthbreeze won't only make Laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you, and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save forty percent. Go to earthbreeze.com/flusterclucks. That's earthbreeze.com/flusterclucks for forty percent off your
1: subscription. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order you will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So, Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclux for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclux. thrivemarket.com slash flusterclux. Well, the other thing
0: that I'm hearing you say when I sort of fuse the advice you've been really talking about in the last several episodes is that this mom and her daughter should always be talking about the anxiety and the depression that the various people are feeling in these accurate ways that are not permanent. It's also an amazing opportunity to use all of these very real life examples about how you and your daughter can be improving their own emotional management. That's right. Because when you have someone in your circle who is in struggle, it's very helpful to say, let's empathically understand why your friend Julie is struggling. you know, what are the things that you hear and what do you think what do you think she needs? What do you think people need when they're sad? Mm-hmm. How do you handle that when you feel that? You can still there's a benefit of using these, real life examples to really educate your kids on very real life skills. And so keeping it in that framework also, I think, can make it feel a little less intimidating. You would become comfortable with your mom if you knew that that's how you were going to talk about it. Right. I know I've been there. I've been that 13-year-old girl. Yeah. And if I knew that we were going to talk about it in a non out way, mm-hmm. but to just actually talk about it step by step of how do we think of this and what do you think your friend is feeling with this and why would she do this and how do you think you would do right if you could get it into that neutral conversation there's actually a lot of wonderful opportunity here
1: right and the thing that you're saying which you're you're just sort of reading my mind here because the next thing that I was going to say is that you want to be able to talk to your daughter about this in a way that's not catastrophic that you don't want to elevate this to crisis And being able to talk to her about it in a way that says, look what I I wonder what your friend is learning about her. And I wonder what you're learning about this. And what do you think that she's been talking about that is kind of interesting or helpful? Or what what are the things that she's been doing that maybe you can see are not so helpful in general? right and i I've, I've said this before but when i'm talking to kids about their worry and about their anxiety and their depression they're very willing to talk about other people more so than themselves so it is not lost on me that this mom is saying that she's got a daughter who also has anxiety and is going to see a therapist and so there's going to be a lot of conversations about emotional management and about well what do you notice about your friend and what is she learning and what do you think you need to learn if you wanted to handle This relationship, or if you wanted to handle your own situations or your own emotions, what do you think you learn in having conversations with your friends? There's just all sorts of, and I think this is what you're saying, Robin, there's just all sorts of opportunities for a mom to have these conversations with a 13 year old who's anxious that really allows her to think about emotional management and to think about boundaries and to think about social connection and to think about what's important. And all of this stuff is just so helpful for kids to be able to talk about. When we talk to kids about their mental health, let's not just do it using diagnostic and pathological language. Let's talk about being a normal human being and how important connections are and how important problem solving is and how important to be able to communicate what's going on inside of you is. All of this opens up opportunities to do this.
0: I want to say from experience, so I can have this conversation with you, and I think a lot about my own friendships growing up, Mm -hmm. and then now I'm a mom, and so now I bring a different lens to these situations, and I just want to share a personal experience that the first time something like this comes up, it's really easy to have that mama bear reaction, Mm -hmm. because you're thinking about how to protect your child, should that person. And be around your child. Right. It's very easy to go to that catastrophic place intuitively. Mm -hmm. I think that if I had heard this podcast, you know, when my daughter was like 10, for example, it would have sort of prepared me a little better for the first few times that happens because there's no way anyone's going to get through and raise their kids off to college where there isn't going to be one friend at some point or one family member that's in crisis. Right. And so that's why you'll have to work on that as a parent, how do I show up in those conversations and be present without being catastrophic? And if you've already had a couple catastrophic ones, as I did, you just move on, you know, Mm -hmm. and you and you show up the next time better. And if you haven't been there yet, then we've just given you a really good tip.
1: Yeah, because the the likelihood that your that your teenager is going to say, I just found out that Amanda is cutting, right? Or My friend just told me that blank, right? So kids will disclose things to each other or I just found out that so-and-so has been purging or I just found out that so-and-so has been smoking a lot of pot. And when they say that to you, I think you're exactly right, Robin. In that moment, our first instinct is to want to protect our kid. Oh my gosh, I'm not gonna, oh my God, what's going on in that house? Oh, I'm not gonna let my child be there. It is so valuable for you to be able to say to your child, How do you think someone makes that decision to do that? Or how do you think she got to that place? Or what do you think was going on inside of her? That's the way that she is dealing with this. What else do you think she might need? It allows you to be empathic, to put yourself into that other person's shoes, which is a wonderful thing to model for kids, but also to be able to say, what can we learn from this experience? And you don't have to say that directly. The other thing, too, I just want to say is that if this 13-year-old girl is anxious, one of the things that anxiety does, right, is that it looks for content to grab onto. And particularly if we're talking about generalized anxiety disorder, that means you're an equal opportunity worrier. So whatever comes around, whatever you get exposed to, you grab onto. And so it's very normal for kids as they're going through puberty and adolescence to start to have big worries about big things. And now this 13-year-old who's a worrier because she's got generalized anxiety disorder, she's being exposed to a big thing. One of the things that worry does is it says, what if that happens to you? What if you did that? What if you had those feelings? When all kids learn about suicide, just when they become aware of the fact that parents will die or they become aware of the fact that people die in car accidents or they become aware of, you know, fill in the blank, when kids become aware of suicide, one of the first normal thoughts that pops up is, what if that happened to me? How do I know I wouldn't feel that way? How do, how do I know I wouldn't act on that? And if you've got a worrier, I guarantee that that's been one of the things that her worry has grabbed onto. And I think you can really talk to her about this and say, for one, this is what worry does. And how are you learning? to deal with your own moods? How are you learning how to deal with your own emotions? How are you learning what works for you and what doesn't work for you? And if we're talking prevention, if we're talking staying ahead of this thing, if we're talking about being able to have open conversations with kids about feeling suicidal, then a huge part of the conversation has to be and can be, what are you doing now so that we can help you navigate through tricky adolescence without getting to this point. I see it all the time, right? You find out that a friend is cutting. Oh my gosh, what if I did that? You find out a friend is using drugs. Oh my gosh, how do I know I won't do that? This becomes a really good opportunity to talk about emotional management. This friend is in pain. There's something going on with this friend that's making her feel as if she doesn't want to live anymore. How do we talk about that with kids to say, let's talk about the reality of how you get to a certain place. And let's talk about you because we want to differentiate. We want to differentiate between you and the friend. How do we stay ahead of this thing in a weird way? What a gift your friend is giving you by talking to you about this so that you can learn not only how to help her, but learn about how this thing works. It gives you a great opportunity to have these honest conversations. And I think parents do get afraid of it. It's a
0: wave that if you don't ride it, it will overwhelm you. Mm-hmm. So you just have to have the courage to just confront it head on with authenticity mm-hmm. and honesty in a fearless way so that it doesn't you know, overwhelm you. The other flip side, though, you know, I can't help but think I've shared in past episodes on teens and depression and suicide that Mm -hmm. my best friend committed suicide at the beginning of sophomore year of high school. Mm -hmm. So that was a pretty tough thing to go through. And I Mm. think about that in this context, because when teens, they're the friend that was left or Mm -hmm. the friend that is there, then what happens afterwards? Yeah. And then when other parents worry that, oh, she's going to be very sad and depressed because her friend died and I don't Mm -hmm. want my daughter sad and depressed. Mm -hmm. So there are certain parents who would respond by wanting to shield their child Mm -hmm. from that, thinking it's protecting them. Of course. It's a natural reaction. But I do think that if I thought of all the players involved in my life at that time, if everyone had the courage to really be open about it, and to talk about it, and be open with grief, and to be open talking about depression. Of course, this was a different time, so people didn't have the vocabulary then. It would have just gone down very differently.
1: I think your point is so well taken, Robin, because we really are so afraid of it with our kids. And I think that the fear gets in the way of the discussion. The discussion's the best thing we've got. Well, one of the things we know about kids and and teens with suicide is that bringing it up to them and asking them directly about it and having conversations about it doesn't make it happen more. That's a myth. So the myth is that if I talk about it, then that's going to give them the idea. Or if they're feeling that way and I bring it up, that's going to make it more likely to happen. And what the research shows is that's actually the opposite is true. It's so the same thing with sex.
0: Absolutely. Talking openly about sex with your kids does not make them more sexually active. Yeah. When there are things that we as parents are afraid of mm-hmm. and we hide from the topic and we hide from that, it doesn't help. This listener and her daughter are going through such common things, right? And, so many other listeners have a variation of this. What are some of the final bits of advice that you have for this mom who's really doing a great job trying to see this experience from so many different people's perspectives?
1: Just in saying that, right, that's what she's, that's what she's showing her daughter, which is a wonderful thing, is that there are a lot of different perspectives on this. And even saying to her 13-year-old daughter, so there are a lot of things we don't know about your friend, but but people are going to handle this in different ways, aren't they? So you can say, so you might handle it in this way. Your worry might really grab onto it and handle it in this way. Maybe some of your other friends are going to handle it in a different way with their family, and they're not going to want to talk about it at all. Maybe their family is very fearful about it. Maybe in one of your friend's families, they brought it up and the mother said, you know, oh God, let's not bring that up. I mean, I, I had a situation where, a, a, very similar to this, a, a client of mine where a friend made a suicide attempt and was in the hospital and the mom was terrified to tell the teenager why the friend was in the hospital. Being able to say to your child, there are a lot of different perspectives on this, a lot of different ways we can look at this, but here's the way we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it from a place of empathy, and we're also going to look at it from a place of being able to know what your boundaries need to be as a 13-year-old. And we're also going to recognize that talking about these things and talking about our feelings and talking about these problems that happen in the world don't make them worse. They make them better. And I think it's so important for parents to understand that if you don't talk to your kids about this, that their friend group will. And who would you rather have be the sort of voice in this? Would you rather have it be you, mom, as being informed about it? Or would you rather have this 13-year-old group of girls come to their conclusions about it? So this mom is really doing the right thing by opening the discussion and bringing it up. I would say sort of, mom, let your 13-year-old take the lead a little bit. So, you know, don't bring it up all the time and don't, sort of pester her with questions about it. But if she hasn't talked about it for a while, or if, she, if you know that the girl is coming back to school or if she's having contact with her, I would just say to her, hey, you know, if there's anything you want to talk to me about this, you know that I have open ears about it. And I'm really here to help you work through this so that she knows that you're capable of having that conversation. I think the key thing which we mentioned is that parents that freak out about it, parents that go catastrophic about it, parents that shut down the conversation, parents that think if you talk about it, you make it worse, that's the wrong thing to do. So we don't wanna make it ubiquitous, we don't have to have a conversation every day about it, but you really wanna say to your daughter, there's a lot to be learned from this, from your friend's experience. Let's think about things like emotional management. And let's think about things like positive connection and being helpful and setting boundaries. What are the skills that you want your 13-year-old daughter to learn that she will use throughout her life to, to confront and to help and to manage when people have emotional difficulty? because none of us get through life without having that happen. None of us have gotten through our lives this far without having people very close to us struggling with something significant. And you mentioned
0: boundaries earlier. And what I keep thinking about is boundaries are a skill that adults obviously are still working on. So there's just no way we can expect our teenage children to know what boundaries are. That whole topic of healthy boundaries, I think, is is very hard for a lot of people. So if you were the mom who wrote the question and you were trying to talk to your daughter about building the right kind of boundaries, with friends, particularly with friends in need,
1: like the girl in crisis? What does that sound like? One of the things you have to remember and to think about is that during this particular age group, the social connection is so important to who they are, to how they see themselves. And if you've got a middle schooler too, well, 13 could be middle school, beginning of high school, that acceptance in the group is going to really drive a lot of the decisions and choices that they make. So it's very, very hard at that age to set a boundary when you're within a group of friends, right? That's very un- a very unusual thing to be able to do because of the social pull. So I think it's so important for this mom to talk really clearly to her daughter about what she is capable of handling at her age in a friendship. And maybe you don't even say at her age, but in a friendship, what she's capable of handling and that it is really important for you to be able to. I would say to the daughter, it is really important for you to recognize what you can take on, what you can handle. Because if you've got a friend, for example, that comes to you and says she's suicidal, or you have a friend that comes to you and says she's cutting, or you have a friend that comes to you and says, I've started smoking pot every day before school, that is too much for you to take on. And I would say to the the daughter, that's even a lot for adults to take on. When adults are dealing with these issues, it feels very overwhelming. Setting boundaries doesn't mean that you disconnect from the person. It doesn't mean you ignore them. It doesn't mean that you cut them out of their lives. But it means that you recognize that there are different parts of friendships and different parts of people's experience that you may not be able to handle.
0: Do you think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's
1: Talkspace.com slash Fluster. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money and Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. So how are you going to stay connected to this friend who's having a difficult time, right? Maybe you stay connected by being a really good listener. Maybe you stay connected by being really empathic. And maybe you stay connected by talking to her about what's going on with her and not then gossiping or sharing that with other friends. Maybe you stay connected to her by just saying, I know you're having a really hard time. And so let's do something really fun that we enjoy doing. So boundaries doesn't mean disconnection. It means recognizing what you can handle. And it really is okay to tell kids and to tell teenage girls that they are not expected to take on these huge issues without the help of adults. And it doesn't mean that you have to lose the friendship or that you're not being supportive. That I think that's
0: key because I think that at that age, your best friends feel like your world because you're not juggling marriage and family like parents are. Right. These other friends are your universe. Mm-hmm. And when you have a friend who's sort of in crisis and who is asking so much from you, uh, I think someone needs to learn that it doesn't make you a bad person to say, I'm sorry, I can't. I think it's important to tell your children that it's not their job to be everything for their friends and it doesn't make them a bad friend. If you say, I really care about your health and your happiness, I don't feel qualified to help you in this way. Do you need, who else can you talk to? Yeah. Does it make you a bad friend? One of the things you mentioned, too, is that sometimes, since I've learned from you to really think about skill-based parenting, when we're talking about these really challenging skills that are challenging for adults, too, I Mm -hmm. say to my kids here's the goal. And this is what we're all working towards. Mm -hmm. The goal scenario would look like this. But sometimes it's really hard to advocate for yourself. So we don't get there. But this is what we want to try and do. And it's okay if it doesn't feel easy yet. But that is what you should be trying for.
1: And the other thing too, when you're talking to this age girl about issues with friends is that oftentimes they equate loyalty with secrecy. So that when you're a loyal friend, that means that you're going to keep the secrets. And I think that it's important to talk to kids about the fact that there are certain secrets that if somebody shares with something, something with you, if somebody discloses something to you, that keeping that secret is not a sign of loyalty. And it's not really taking care of your friend or taking care of you to hold that information in. You know, one of the things that this mom was saying in this question is that there are other girls in the friend group that don't want to talk about this. And that's totally fine. It just means that they have a different perhaps tolerance for it, or they feel like they aren't capable of managing it. And it really is okay to just say, like you said, I'm not a good person to help you solve this problem, but I am a really good listener and I'm really a good friend and I really wanna help you, but I can't help you by stepping in and taking this on. Just because I'm not the right person
0: to help you with this doesn't mean I don't care and wanna support you in the way that I can.
1: It would be sort of like if you and I were hanging out and I knocked a tooth out, you would say, oh my gosh, I'm gonna help you by driving you to the dentist, but I wouldn't expect you to put the tooth back in. And then afterwards, I would say, oh my gosh, Robin, thank you. You were so helpful to me during that time. You got me to the place I needed to go. And I would be so grateful for your help, even though you actually didn't put the tooth back in my mouth. And you can use that, you know, you can talk to your kids about how how there are different types of help, for sure. I'm just picturing this image of you and I in that situation,
0: and I'm still finding it funny, but that's a brilliant parallel.
1: Um. Well, hopefully that will never happen. But if it does, you and I will be prepared. Yes, I will know exactly what you want me to do. (laughs) (laughs) And if you say, open up, I'll shove it back in. I'll say, were you not listening? (laughs) How hard can this be? Mm. Let's talk about the mom
0: of the daughter in crisis for a Mm. second.
1: Let's flip the
0: different part of the equation. If you have a a daughter in crisis, there's also a lot of boundary and skill needs there. So if you know that you have a child who is in crisis and you don't really know what they're doing with their friendships, how they're trying to lean on them, how do you tell these children to start thinking about healthy boundaries?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. So I've had this situation come up very often in my practice because, you know, I might be, obviously I'm helping kids that are in crisis and maybe they've been hospitalized or even made a suicide attempt or maybe they're cutting. And so the question is, how do they handle that with their friends? And how does this mom talk to her daughter who's struggling? I think it's really important to talk to kids about who they share this information with and teach them their own boundaries of self-disclosure. This doesn't mean that we say to kids, oh, you shouldn't talk about that, or that's something that we need to keep a family secret, right? It's not, it's not about keeping a secret, but it's really about seeing this information about yourself as very important almost very precious and that you're only going to share it with people that you know are capable of handling it in a way that will be supportive and respectful to you. The analogy I use all the time with kids is I say, so when you come back from this or when people find out about this, right? And kids like to gossip and people might be talking about it. There are two really important things that I want you to think about. One is that you're going to share this information as if it were a little bird. And you are going to give your little bird to the people you know that will take care of your little bird. It's delicate, it's important to you, and it it deserves the utmost in care and tenderness. And the other thing is that when people ask you about it and you don't want to talk about it, let's find a thing that you can say that's very respectful, but also lets people know politely that it's none of their business. And so one of the things I remember talking to a girl about this and saying, and, and, and what, she, what we came up with that she was going to say was, thank you so much for asking, I'm doing fine. Or it could be something like, thank you so much for your concern, I appreciate your caring. And then you stop right there. And even if they have to repeat that a few times to get somebody to back off, I practice that. I role play that. Like I'm going to pretend to be a nosy friend, or I'm going to be a friend who sort of likes to get into the drama, or I'm going to be a friend that you are not going to share your little bird with. Let's practice that statement. Because I think when kids are going through a tough time, it really is important for us to help them recognize that there are people to talk to and that there are people they can trust but be particular about who you share that stuff with because it can really come back to bite them for sure. I love that. Thanks for asking, I'm doing much better. We're being very genuine, we're dismissing the person. When somebody is asking you about that and it feels personal and you wanna shut it down, it's hard to sort of know what to say in the moment. So oftentimes with kids, I prepare them ahead of time and come up with a statement and it's gonna be their go-to. And then as they're going back into school or going back into situations, they feel less anxious about it because they're prepared. They've got this statement and we practice it. The other thing too that I wanted to mention is that just to go back a little bit, Robin, if it's okay, I know that the mom who wrote in talked about how her daughter is anxious and worried. And one of the things she wants to talk in terms of boundaries is we want to talk to that anxious girl about differentiating between her friend and her so that just because your friend is going through this doesn't mean that you're going to go through this. And sometimes when kids are worried, they worry a lot that something that they hear about out in the world is then going to happen to them. So if they hear about suicide or they hear about drug addiction or they hear about somebody getting pregnant or they hear about whatever... They they worry that, oh my gosh, what if that happened to me? Would I be able to handle that? Or what if I had those feelings? Or what if I wanted to do that? Or what if I made a bad choice? And they get very, very worried about their own ability to manage. And it's really helpful to talk directly to worried kids about that. Because it can feel very overwhelming, as if they're sort of a passenger on their own life. So we want to talk about how you make decisions and what would you do if you had feelings like that. Because the worrier will worry that it's going to happen to them in a kind of passive way almost. When I think of
0: the answers and the guidance that you've given in this, I wanna recap because I think that You've given some incredibly powerful tools to parents of teens. So I want to make sure that I'm recapping for our listeners and you can weigh in. Okay. The first thing is that when you're talking to your child about other kids and mental health, really talk about it in an appropriate way where you are acknowledging depression and anxiety are not permanent labels but that they are chapters that we all go through. You normalize the fact that we all experience them, but you do not normalize that they're permanent. Right. So that's one of the first things to do. The second thing is you talk about ensuring that you're differentiating everyone's experience. So to let your child know that their experience is not your experience. Your experience does not get determined by your friends. Right. So that you are separate people. Right. And then you did this great explanation of boundaries and how you can use these skills or you use these situations of more dramatic life for a teen to be educational and to have an honest and authentic conversation to show up and think about what skills need to be learned here both for the kids and frankly, for most adults as well.
1: Right. And think about it, like, is, how often is that going to happen in life that you have somebody close to you that needs help, that needs some support, that needs some guidance, and what role are you going to play in that? And how do you make sure that you're offering the help that you're capable of offering in a supportive, empathic, loving way? How many times in life is that going to happen to us? And so if this mom is starting to talk to her 13-year-old daughter, you know, unfortunately, it's at 13, she's learning this really starting to learn this big lesson, but it's so, so helpful for us to learn these things as early as possible. What a wonderful opportunity for this mom to be able to have these really important uh, conversations with her daughter.
0: That's obviously the goal, but it would be very common if listeners say or think about their own personal experiences as a parent It's so easy to approach this from a place of fear Mm -hmm. and to catastrophize and think about shutting it out, not talking about it, or just wanting to close your child off will protect them. Right. And that's what we, you know, we talk about. It's like going against the waves. You've got to just go straight through the wave in order for it to not crash you. Right. Don't don't be so afraid of talking about these things that in fact it will just probably make it worse. You're denying you and your children a really authentic opportunity to learn very essential lessons and they we just don't control the timing of when these lessons pop up. So we yes. just got to we got to get bravery and we just got to go for
1: it. And I think that this myth that if you don't talk to your kids about these things that they won't be exposed to them, or that they won't know about them and that we can protect them. That is a myth. And being able to talk openly about the struggles that human beings have and what we're going to be confronted with is such an important thing. You don't have to do it when your kid is five. Although, look, some kids get confronted with this when they're six. Some kids get confronted with this when they're eight. But it is really so, so helpful for you to take this attitude that this is an uncomfortable conversation that I'm going to have with my child, and I'm going to teach them and model for them skills that they need to have.
0: I was laughing, thinking about this the other day, that if you're having an uncomfortable conversation with your child, then Lynn is on your shoulder ringing a bell.
1: It is so hard to have these conversations. I mean, it's, you know, we've talked about this a lot before, right? That, that We call them awkward conversations because they're awkward. And we just, we do, we just have to, we just have to plow right into it. We just have to have the conversation. Your image of me ringing a bell was really nice. It's sort of like, uh, what's the Jimmy Stewart movie? Yeah, Clarence like, and It's yeah. a Wonderful Life. <laughs> right, right. Every time a bell rings, a parent has an awkward conversation. <laughs> and so, <laughs> That's where I was headed. <laughs> yeah. but, but I just also just want to make it real that like, that's a nice little image of somebody ringing a bell, but oh my God, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard parenting is hard. It's wonderful and hard. I was just talking to somebody about the, the uh, moments of parenting and how it goes up and down. And we have moments where we're just so happy and proud of our kids and then moments where we're so annoyed with our kids and then so happy and proud of our kids and so annoyed with our kids. It's just, a, it's just the way that it is.
0: So join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn
1: your question on an upcoming episode. And thanks for joining us for another episode of Fluster Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn.
2: Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced. So Differently Wired kids and the parents like us raising them